Welcome to the Innovation Meets Leadership Podcast. Real inspiration for real innovators. If you're looking for innovation and leadership transformation, your journey starts now. Welcome to the Innovation Meets Leadership Podcast. I'm your host, Natalie Bourne. I'm the founder of Innovation Meets Leadership and the Vice President of Innovation for Territory Global. We exist to empower your journey through collaboration, innovation, and transformation, not just for yourself, but for your business. And we are continuing our series around talent. Today, my guest is Jeremy Duval. Jeremy is the founder of Seven Factor Software, a custom DevOps, cloud-based systems, and software company. Seven Factor works with leading global organizations and high-growth startups such as Delta, Cox, and many, many others. Jeremy is a frequent speaker, writer, and engineer advisor. Welcome to the podcast, Jeremy. Hey, Natalie. Nice to be here. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Well, today we're unpacking this topic around hiring technical talent. And to be fair, would you say it's both an art and a science to hire someone that's technical? Yeah. In the 15 years I've been in technology, I would claim it's probably the hardest problem you have to solve. Software is just code. And the problem is the code is written by people. So we have to make sure we have the right people on our team. Well, I'll tell you what, I've worked with you a number of times and I've been very impressed with the level of technical talent that you assemble whenever I'm trying to solve a problem and I call you and say, help, <laughs> we need to solve for this issue. What are some of the things that you're looking for when hiring and not only on the hard skills side, but, but also on the soft skills? So this is a very interesting question to unpack, to use the consulting term. So <laughs> There are a few things that we look for, and, and you look to companies like Google and Microsoft and Amazon and how they're hiring technical talent. And a lot of people sort of use those folks as the de facto golden standard because everybody knows that Google has the best developers on the planet, right? That's what they say. Um, and I have know plenty of folks there that are incredibly intelligent, super smart people that have built some really cool things at those companies. I worked for Microsoft earlier on in my career. So the thing that I've noticed when I started my own company, I tried to follow a lot of the similar patterns and paradigms that you see at these big companies. I did code tests. I did, mm -hmm. you know, culture interviews. And, and to this day, our process at Seven Factors still has some of the DNA of those bigger companies uh, inside of it. But the thing that I've found that's most important to screen people for at the very beginning um, before you even have them open their laptop and start writing code in a framework is, are you a culture fit? Mm. Are you someone that can walk in the door every day and I can trust to do your job the way that I would expect you to do your job with little to no prompting, right? Wow. Um, and, and that's really hard uh, because there are different types of developers out there. There are different levels. There's your junior folks. There's your code school people that are trying to change their lives. There's so many different flavors of engineering talent. Crafting a process that caters to each of those is exceedingly difficult. So what I do is I have what I call a we're not crazy call. <laughs> the first time I interact with a person, with a human, during our interviewing process is I, the founder of the company in air quotes, call this person and say, okay, let's just have a conversation. Yeah. What makes you excited about being a technologist? Like, why do you do this? Oh, and by the way, what's your favorite color? Like, tell me some interesting things about you that make you an appealing candidate to come work at my company with other people 
that are very passionate about the jobs that they do. Yeah. And you'll hear that like on all of the lists of the top five things for your candidate, you know, are they passionate? You know, are they a hustler? I hate that word. I know. Um, <laughs> are they a grinder? That's an even worse version of that word because <laughs> it's toxic startup culture, right? Um, but making sure that that person can walk in the door every day and, and actually cares about doing their job is probably the most important thing, in my opinion, of assessing if a person is a culture fit. After that, we get into, can you write code, right? Um, mm. We're big fans of some of the more uh, XP style of implementation. Yep. I like, you know, Clean Coder by Bob, Uncle Bob. I know he's sort of <laughs> fallen out of favor recently, but, but his ideas are interesting because he talks about personal responsibility and accountability to the code that you write. My favorite thing is accountability to the estimates that you write, making sure that I'm not lying to you as my business owner and saying, yeah, I'll get that done in two days. And then five days later, <laughs> where's it at, slacker, right? right? So that is the second most important thing to me because we have to make sure that someone from a philosophical perspective understands and agrees with how we as a company, as a business unit, as a development team are going to execute on the things that we've been asked to do by our business owners. And then the final bit is, can you actually write code, right? Yeah. Can you sling the bits? To me, that is the formality. The way we yeah. do it is we do paraprogramming interviews, right? No surprise there. A company that's into XP likes paraprogramming. <laughs> so we usually have folks in our office and we go over you know, a problem with them. We might whiteboard it a little bit. I don't ask you silly little questions like, why are manhole covers round? <laughs> I'm asking you questions like, okay, if you had an at scale system, how might you implement a load balancing scheme? What is the definition of a sticky session? Why might we use sticky sessions with load balancers? And all these other, you know, sort of interesting infrastructure questions on top of also talking through, okay, can you write a model? Do you know how to build something in an MVC framework like .NET or MVC or Golang or Rust or whatever your framework is that you're working in? How do you think about solving those problems? So for us, it's very much culture fit first. Then, you know, would you come into work and would I enjoy like, <laughs> would I enjoy working with you? And then finally, the technology side of it is sort of the piece that we think is pretty trivial to assess someone's abilities in. That's really good. I mean, I feel like you pulled out a lot of thought there around the process of hiring. So talk to me more about this. You said something in there that I want to tease out a little bit. So you said this idea of hustle, which let's talk about that for a second. I think that that's kind of the 2020 yeah. <laughs> language. I mean, maybe not in the midst of COVID, but definitely before that. And I'm thinking about this article that you wrote one time that I read about slowing down to hurry up. Mm. So what's the undercurrent behind hustle and why is it something that you're not looking to hire into your organization? Yeah. So you hear about the what is it? The 10Xers? I don't know if you... Yeah. yeah, the, yeah. I, I don't even want to talk about that. I mean, <laughs> it's all sort of wrapped up in this, it, what I believe to be a toxic subculture in, in startups where we're discussing that, you know, you need to work 80 hours a week in order to get your job done. And if you don't work 80 hours a week, you don't care about this company. I've been there. I've done that. Um, yeah. and, and the thing that I discovered is that very quickly, my family and my well-being, my personal health, my physical health is more important than your idea. This is when yeah. I work for other people. Yep. So that idea of hustle to me, you don't want to hire someone just because they can, you know, spend 80 hours in front of a computer and write some form of code. 
And it segues really well into this idea of not writing bad code, because when you're tired, face it, you know, pick your caffeinated beverage of choice. If you're strung out <laughs> on Red Bulls or Monsters and you've been up for 80 hours and you're writing code, some of your code is going to be bad because you're making split decisions in the midst of implementing a requirement. You're deciding to just probably cut a bunch of corners because you can't do it right. Maybe you don't write the appropriate automated tests. Maybe you don't think through all of the edge cases, and maybe you don't QA your own work and you just push to production and pray that it works, right? Yeah. So that hustle, that toxic, I'm just going to you know, be the hero, be the superhero is going to bring a team down. It may work in a vacuum with one guy or gal executing on a single threaded requirement with one or two things that you need to complete, right? If you're building your own website or you're the only technical founder on a particular project, then it may work for you very well. When you begin to scale and you begin to think about, okay, you know, software, writing software is a social art. I mean, people will argue with me about this and I'm happy to have beers and chat about it because, well, after COVID, obviously. <laughs> but the, the, I, this idea that I can sit in a vacuum and just write my code and go home is not true for software that's written to serve humans. It's a yeah. very social art. Anyone who's worked in a big enterprise or in a medium-sized enterprise or even beyond a seed stage round startup understands that you have a person to your left or to your right that you need to support, right, as a group. And the community, the engineering team, succeeds or fails by the execution of those members. So it goes back to Kanban theory, right? The gold rats theorem. You have this idea of a bottleneck in the system where this one person is moving faster than everyone else. And that person is sitting idle waiting for more work being passed to them, right? That's actually a bad thing in a Kanban system. So if you want to optimize your agile teams and get really fast, avoid hiring people that are faster than everybody else. Instead, bring your whole team to an equilibrium of fast wow. so that you're one more load balanced because if somebody you know, goes out sick or goes on vacation, you still have X number of other members that can pick that work up and keep the system moving, right? And also you don't have to worry about the whole 10Xer mentality, which is again, a toxic subculture that I have a lot of trouble. I've hired some people like this and they ended up not being a fit for us because we are a very team-centric organization and we live and die by the success of the entire organization and not just the individuals that are on each of those teams. And that reminds me a little bit of a sports team where, you know, if you can get everybody to work together, it's much better than having that one star player, right? Because right. if yeah. that one star player goes out or they take themselves out or whatever happens, you're left with kind of the ragtag team. But if you can get everybody up to that standard, then you can switch players in and out and the team isn't hurt because of it. Right. And that feels more healthy than the alternative. For sure. And back to your question on the article that I read, that article was designed during the COVID-19 initial breakout, everyone was just rushing to try and solve for things like remote work. And, and some of these things have to be solved for very quickly. So I, trust me, I have no issues with putting the pedal to the metal and executing on a particular need when the goals are clear cut and understood. The problem though, is that if that is your constant modus operandi, if all of your time is spent in rush mode, you need to stop and slow down. Because what that means is either you haven't thought through your product market fit appropriately if you're a product engineering organization, or in the event of a services organization, you don't have the correct pipeline in place to support potential drops in your workload, 
And it also means that you're likely not going to build the right thing because you're not asking your customers the right questions. If I'm going super fast and just slinging paint against the canvas to try and develop whatever business software you're asking me to, and I don't pause to ask you, what do you think of what I've painted? I'm missing out on a key chance to ensure that what I build is the correct thing and it's not just a thing that I think needs to be built. Yeah, that goes back to that picture that <laughs> with the tire swing that, you know, the customer wanted this, but the product heard this and mm. developers built this and everybody builds a different picture of what that customer asked for. And it, and it looks nothing like the end result of what it's supposed to look like. And so that to me, that the slowing down the the collaborative skill set, having all that stuff in place, I think is critical, it sounds like to your culture. So if you could say like, these are the top three attributes on the soft skill side that I look for when hiring, what would you say that those would be? Yeah. So first and foremost is trustworthiness. And I know that's kind of a bit of a cop out, but it's the truth. And my organization, we have a saying that I learned from many moons ago, several consulting firms that I've kind of made my way through in my career, and that's trust, but verify. Yeah. Um, it's very important to trust people that work for you because nobody likes to be micromanaged. But on the flip side of that, that trust has to be held accountable. I've worked with people on both sides of the fence, some of which are like, well, you know, those managers should just trust me and they should just let me do my job. And when that happens, oftentimes people will get into a relaxed sense and they won't understand if there's a sense of urgency around what we have to build. Or maybe, you know, this sprint, we got to push just a little bit harder to make sure we meet our commitments because the business is on the line. And that tends to produce a pocket of laziness, to be completely candid. And then on the other side, though, you can't always be verifying what everyone is doing to that extreme. Otherwise, nobody's going to want to work for you. <laughs> right. Nobody likes to be asked, hey, did you get the thing that I told you to do done? Uh, <laughs> maybe. I mean, go look at the tickets, right? So to me, trust is number one. It has to be at the forefront of what we're doing. And alongside trust is also this word integrity, which is important to me. And again, that's a very well-known startup word. And it's a very well-known company culture word. And mm -hmm. it's kind of been beat to death. But to be straight, it is a very key component to having a good person on your team is someone who knows to stand up, for example. Here's an example of integrity that I don't see very often that I wish I saw more product comes to me and says, Hey, Jeremy, so that thing that I want you to do, I need it done on Friday. I know you committed to getting it done next Wednesday, but I mean, man, we're not going to make a sale unless you get it done on Friday. Integrity will stare that product person in the face and say, no, I'm sorry. Yeah. I committed to Wednesday. I, I'm not going to do that. Someone who, and, and again, this may insult some people and I don't mean it this way, but really think about it someone who doesn't necessarily have the appropriate level of integrity will say, okay, well, I'll try. Yeah. That word try is a no, no in my organization. If you <laughs> say the word try, I automatically cut you off and I'm like, stop right now. Yeah. No, you're not going to try. You know what Yoda says, right? Do or do not. That's there right. is no try. And that's important because we have to set the appropriate business expectations. And that is integrity. Really, if you think about it, it boils down to you standing up for your values and making absolutely sure that you do what you say you're going to do. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Yeah. Right? And then I guess it's so hard to choose because there's so many things that I want. I think the most important one to me, and this is a weird word to use that not a lot of people in business hear because it's so soft, grace. Mm, yeah. When you have people to your left and to your right, they're going to make mistakes. 
When you think you're the smartest person in the room and someone makes a mistake, your immediate reaction is going to determine whether or not I hire you. Wow. If your immediate reaction is to say, wow, that person screwed up. What an idiot. That person is just terrible. Then I am automatically not going to hire you. Yeah, you're done. Primarily because people to the left of you and to the right of you are not opportunities for you to step on them to get to your next level. They're opportunities for you to demonstrate leadership by helping guide them to a solution that you know to be correct. Gosh, yeah. And that word grace, again, is a weird word to hear, but to me, it is the best word that paints the best picture of the type of people that I want on my team. People that recognize that maybe Jimmy had a bad day and he forgot to write a unit test because his kid was sick. Or maybe this person is going through a divorce in their life and their life is ruined right now. And I'm being yeah. a jerk, attacking them and saying, why didn't you get your thing done on your date? And this is even more important for leadership. If you don't have grace and you're a leader, you're a very poor leader. Wow. Because without that, you can't gain the trust of the people that work with you. And I notice I don't say for you. They work with you to achieve the goal that you ultimately set out for them. We have a funny saying that I took from a buddy of mine named Will Palmer back when I worked with him at another company. And it's my favorite saying, and I quote it all the time in my organization. It's, we're a fellowship, not a pirate ship. <laughs> and it's kind of cute and fun, but at the same time, it very much demonstrates the ideologies of the people that I want on my team is people who truly think we are going somewhere as a team, as a group. We are setting sail to X and Y and Z. And I'm not looking to kick the guy next to me to try and get ahead of him or her so that I can then become the alpha dog on the block. Yeah. You just described a challenge in I think a lot of organizations, a lot of corporate cultures is exactly what you just said. This idea that you have to kick someone else to get ahead. It's really unfortunate. It is toxic. When you're in an environment like that, it's impossible to stay there if it's something that you see mm. and you disagree with because, you know, you either have to go into survival mode <laughs> or you have to fight. Right. And who wants to live like that? Nobody. Nobody. And so I, I love what you're cultivating there. What you said to me is just the crux of culture. Like if we can figure that out, we can figure a lot of other things out pretty easily. Like to me, that's the thing to really cultivate and put at the heart of all you do. As we kind of come to some of our final questions, let me ask you this real quick. So you said this one time when we were talking and I just um, like it, it kind of made me laugh at first, but then I realized how serious you were. <laughs> you said bad code kills. Yeah. Like it literally kills people. Tell our listeners, what, is, what does that mean? <laughs> so I was sitting in my ethics course at Georgia Tech, and this is something that I know some of my tech kids that know that have been through this ethics course probably have seen this before, but there there's stories out there of things like the Therac 25, where a particular piece of software delivered 20 times the lethal dose of radiation to healthcare patients. This was back in the 70s. So there are actual examples, Natalie, of a bug in software causing physical harm to other humans. The challenge in our industries, we don't have any form of legislation or any form of standards around what we do. Like my wife is a structural engineer. And you know, if any of your listeners are aware of that discipline, they're standing on the shoulders of thousands of years of tried and true physics equations. And there are bodies and standards and regulations internationally that prevent people from creating a bridge on the cheap 
that will fall and literally kill people. There's nothing of that sort in the software engineering industry. As a matter of fact, there's a trend towards commoditization of software, um, Mm -hmm. which again, I I don't want to go into the debate of, you know, educating the world and everyone should be coders and which to a certain degree, I think is an excellent movement. And the flip side of that, of everybody should be certified and you should go through a test like my wife had to go through to get her certification, which has a 20% pass rate. I I don't want to discuss that, but for certain this idea that poor code or badly written code can cause issues in society is 100% true. We're actually working on a podcast that we're putting together soon to start highlighting some of these cases like that Theric 25 example. And in addition to that, there's a funny example, which is less harmful and more kind of irritating of a group of folks up in the North where a hospital declared them dead, like 8,000 patients were declared (laughs) dead. Can you imagine getting a letter from the government stating that you are dead? Like, what are you then going to do? And this caused issues for like years with people. uh, And it was a software bug. Again, this idea that software is a commodity and it's not something that requires discipline or practice or like you mentioned the, the athletics team earlier i liken software engineers to athletes we have to practice if you've ever written a line yeah. of code you know especially in javascript right this is sort of a joke in the community there's a node package for <laughs> anything there's a node package that will probably pick <laughs> your nose like it's it's yeah. there's so <laughs> many things out there that solve problems that are really not problems in the npm registry That idea is good, but it's free and it's wonderful, but it's also scary because you never know who wrote that and if that person actually knew what they were doing. And again, I don't want to attack anybody or discourage people from becoming engineers, but you do have to take your discipline seriously. Yeah, that's really good. So final thoughts. I want you to tell our listeners about this incredible, let's talk about healthcare, this incredible product that you guys have just released. I just read a press release about it. Yeah, for sure. So we have released a piece of software. It's a platform called WellEntry. And we partnered with several large healthcare companies, uh, one actually headquartered here in Atlanta, we're good friends with Aviana Healthcare, to provide a screening platform for COVID-19. Nobody knows how long this thing is going to last. I know we all really wished it was over yesterday because, to be frank, I'm tired of staring at my office wall at home. (laughs) Um, But we need something that allows people to have a single solution for screening across public places. Or if you go to a high school, for example, uh, we're targeting schools with this idea. But it should be a single identity, a single entry point into wherever you're going, you answer those screening questions that I'm sure we've all answered a hundred times before you show up. So it's an asynchronous survey idea. And then you can walk in the door, you know, the nurse scans a QR code, they take your temperature, you walk in. There's no more filling out forms. There's no more dealing with paper. It is a fully automated solution. We've partnered with Aviana to provide screeners to our customers. Or if you don't want to do that, we actually have a licensing structure in place so that you can do the screening with your own organization. And we're offering that at tremendous discounts to educational institutions because we're looking to try and impact public health. Seven Factor, oddly, has become a bit known in the IT healthcare industry. It's just where we kind of landed. And it's been a cool thing for me because it's an industry that I didn't work in very much before And it's been a great journey to learn about the ways that technology can impact the healthcare space. There's a huge amount of opportunity here. And this platform is our first step towards contributing back to that ecosystem of 
a well-rounded, well-implemented, well-thought-out healthcare IT system. That's awesome. Jeremy, where can they learn more about that? Absolutely. Go to www.wellentryapp.com, W-E-L-L-E-N-T-R-Y-A-P-P.com. Awesome. Well, Jeremy, thank you for your time today. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, Natalie, this has been awesome. Thanks for having me on. Well, to our listeners, thank you for joining the Innovation Meets Leadership podcast. You can check out Jeremy on LinkedIn at 7 Factor Software. You can visit their website at 7factor.io or look for them on Twitter or Facebook at 7soft. If you enjoyed this podcast, let's get the word out by subscribing, leaving a review, and sharing this episode on your social media platforms. And remember, don't just get out of the box, break the box and set it on fire. Let's go transform something. Thank you for joining us for the Innovation Meets Leadership podcast. Be sure to subscribe to our show on iTunes. Follow us on Instagram or Facebook at Innovation Meets Leadership. And visit our site at innovationmeetsleadership.com for more innovation resources. Today's sponsorship is brought to you by Territory Global. We work at the intersection of experience and imagination. We help you pinpoint problems and turn them into opportunities. We make Imagine happen. Some of the best organizations in the world choose us as their partner to help solve their strategy, innovation, transformation, story, and ways of working problems. Learn more at Territory.co.